Welcome to the final episode of this series of Live Wires on the Kingdom Principles. Now in the first one we talked about knights and this idea of a people who would live above the line, who would be role models that inspire others. And yet in today's kind of era of what I call spiritual correctness, um, I think that's kind of frowned upon as though being really godly means that we can't be raised up. The idea that God wants to raise people up and exalt people um, almost sounds un unspiritual and yet actually it's really biblical. You know, I've said before that uh, the reason we're made in the image of God is so those that don't know God can imagine him. We're supposed to be role models and examples. Now, sometimes we have heroes uh, and they're on one of two extremes. Either we idolise those who are on the platforms who maybe seem to be super spiritual, who can preach really well. And then on the other end of the line, sometimes we idolise those that are behind the scenes and we say that those who clean the toilets, well, they're the true heroes. And I just wonder really, is it our position, is it our role that decides whether we're humble or not? Or is there another hidden quality? I think there's a hidden quality and it's best summed up in the book of Romans. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. So I've often said that when charisma walks into the room, everyone notices and everybody gets on board. But eventually, if all you have is charisma, then eventually people realise that's all you have. You just have a great personality but they can't trust in you. When somebody who has character walks into a room, nobody notices because character is not that effervescent. Um, it's, it's not dependent on you having a great personality. So sometimes people just don't notice. But when you have character, after a while people notice because what you say you will do, you do and you, you keep on doing until it's completed. People with charisma People notice, but they, they finish things early. They, they give up on their commitments. They say they're going to arrive at such and such a time, but they're always late because it's all about them. It's great if you have character and charisma, but character is most helpful. And character produces hope because, as I've just said, when someone has character, you know you can trust on them and you know you can rely on them. Now, I wonder if you remember what the tagline is for Coca-Cola. So you may remember, but Coke apparently is the real thing. And, um, you know, God does a lot of work in us. And I tend to use this as an object lesson. When, when we get involved in all sorts of experiences, There's a lot of fizz. You know, when we first become Christians, there's a lot of fizz. When we're younger, there's a lot of fizz. And that fizz represents the emotion and the kind of spiritual high that we can sometimes get in a meeting or when we first become Christians or when we go to a new scenario, we get new friends around us. Eventually, the fizz dies down and you're left with the real thing. Uh, sometimes people's personality is very fizzy. Sometimes the experience we have of God has a lot of fizz in it, a lot of emotion. But at some point, it's all going to settle down. And what you're left with is the real thing. And it's people who are real that bring hope. 
It's people that when the spiritual high has disappeared, they stick to what they said they would do. They're the kind of people that bring hope. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus was a man who brought hope. Let me give you another little metaphor to think about. So recently in the media, uh, the millennial generation, this generation of young adults have been called snowflakes. And uh, I think it's quite sad. And unfortunately, it's become a political thing. So people on the right have often accused um, liberal young adults of being really flaky, being really snowflakey, um, melting when any problems come. And you get things like universities um, creating safe spaces. So if you put the politics to one side, which, which I'd like to do, I think there's a genuine concern for, for people my generation of a younger generation, parents of children who are young adults right now, that they do seem to want to escape from anything that's difficult. They want to, they want to get away. They want a safe place. Uh, sorry, a safe place. Um, I know people that when, when, when their spiritual high is lost, they kind of fall apart and it affects their commitments. And that's not what God is looking for. He's looking to raise up a generation who can be light in darkness, who are not looking for a safe place. A few nights ago, I was with um, a couple who are friends of ours who've got children that are at school age. And um, for many years, they homeschooled and then they felt they wanted to put their children into a regular school. And they weren't sure whether to put them into a Christian school or a public high school. What I'm going to say next is not a comment generally on that. But they asked me why we'd put our children in public school. And I had a one word answer. And my one word answer was, contrast. I wanted my boys to go to a normal school because I thought it was best for them to see the contrast between Christianity and the world. And I think that's helpful. I think it's helpful for my sons to go and see what the world looks like without Christ, but then come and be part of a family where Christ is at the centre of that family. For me, the contrast shows them what's true and what's not. Now, of course, that only works if the family really is Christ-centered. But I think that's been important for us. And uh, this couple were actually thanking me because they'd, they'd sent their children to a public high school and the feedback they were getting, you know, two years later from their children was that their children could see the truth of God because they could see that their parents acted differently from the people that they were meeting and the adults that they were meeting in a public high school. So what's the point of all this? God wants people that he can exalt. God is looking proactively for people he can exalt and say, look, in this world, these are shining examples of people who are following me. Maybe not everything's going right for them, but even when things are going wrong, they have character and that character means they can bring hope. So with that in mind, let's look at our first workshop. So as you look at this photo, uh, this was given to some Pays leaders many years ago. And a Pays host, somebody who was hosting an apprentice said, this reminds me of you. These guys are living at such a height, it's scary but inspiring. And yet they're doing something that's natural to them. And you're living by faith at such a height, it inspires me and yet seems natural to you. So let me ask you this question. What could you do with the skills and abilities that God has given you to such a height that you inspire others? How might God use you as a role model? 
It's a very broad question, but if God was to exalt you, why might he do that? What might there be about you that would inspire others? Please discuss that for a few minutes, and then we're going to look at this principle that is so key in the Bible. Okay, great. So let's look at our principle. It's found in Luke chapter 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. For those who shall exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. First of all, I think we have to ask the question, what is humility? Because I think sometimes we have a false idea of humility. I often tell the story of a guy once asking me if I preached in my church. And I would say to him, no, I've been asked, but I've not done it yet. And when he asked me why, I said, well, because I just don't think I'd be very good. And he said to me, oh, so you're struggling with pride. And I said, no, no, I don't think I'd be very good. And he said, yeah, you're struggling with pride. You're more concerned about what people would think about you than whether you can serve your church. And he was absolutely spot on. So what is humility? I don't think it's just lowering yourself and, and comparing yourself to other people and saying they're better than me. That's not humility. A great definition of humility is this. A right perspective of who we are before God. A right perspective of who we are before God. The dictionary definition says this. A lack of vanity or self-importance. But is that really true? I think you are important. I think you're important to God. And I think it's important that you know you're important because you have an, imp uh, you have an impact on other people's lives. So this idea of a lack of self-importance, I don't think is a very good definition. Like I said, a better definition is understanding who we are before God. Listen to what Paul the Apostle said. I am the least of the apostles. I am the very least of all the saints. I am the foremost of sinners. Well, that sounds really humble, doesn't it? But then listen to other things that he said. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So here you have this, this idea that I think Paul understood who he was before God. He knew he was a saint, but he knew he sinned. And I think that's helpful. So let's look again at the cloud and the line. When we look at the line, there are two extremes. There is false humility at one side and pride at the other. Pride and arrogance compared to insecurity, which leads to politics and manipulation and sucking up to people. But in the cloud, we humble ourselves for the sake of the kingdom and he will then lift us up for his purposes. I love this principle because it means that I don't have to worry too much about what other people think about me. That doesn't mean I don't care about people's feelings, but I don't have to worry too much about what they think about me because in my opinion and my understanding, it's God who will exalt me, not people. And I find that incredibly freeing. So let's think about this from the perspective of line dwellers and cloud dwellers. Line dwellers ask these kind of questions. How do I avoid the limelight in order to avoid personal humiliation? How do I avoid anonymity in order to gain personal recognition? 
How do I avoid the process in order to jump to the top? Again, one of the differences between line dwellers and cloud dwellers is line dwellers ask certain questions, whereas cloud dwellers listen to the questions that God asks them, such as, will you serve an imperfect leader in order to become a perfect servant? Will you serve me, not people, in order to bring glory to me, not you? Will you demonstrate faithfulness so that I can show myself faithful? The great thing about this is there's a process, as with all the kingdom principles. And again, in this process, God uses people. God can develop our character and he can take us from someone who has either false humility or pride and he can develop within us humility. You see, knights must first bow the knee. What you find is when people are knighted, they bow the knee and they bow before people. Now, many of us have no issue bowing before God, but we struggle with the idea of bowing before people. And yet that's what God wants us to do, at least in our hearts, not to worship them, but to acknowledge that God uses people to bring authority into our lives. C.S. Lewis said something really interesting. He said this, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me ill-tempered. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. So along with this quote, C.S. Lewis said, the way you find out who you really are, the way you discover your character is through instant um, provocation. A bit like, he said, finding a rat. You can't discover a rat in the house if you slowly open the door because it will have heard you and disappeared. You have to burst into a room to see the rat. And so God sometimes will do things to offend us. God will allow people to offend us or situations in order for something to come out of us. Sometimes we say things and we, we, we're surprised we even said it. Or sometimes we act in a way we didn't expect because that instant provocation is highlighting something in us that we didn't realize. So let's discuss this in our second workshop. Can you think of a situation where an instant provocation brought something out of you that you did not realize was in you? Who did God use to provoke you? And what did it teach you about yourself? So we have this wonderful principle. And what it means is that no matter what your status in life, God can use you as an example. In fact, God wants to exalt you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to shine a spotlight on you. You may not think that's spiritual, but it's really clearly biblical. And he has this process, and the process is really straightforward. The way you follow someone will determine how people eventually follow you. In other words, if you serve someone, God will lift you up and bring other people around you to help serve you in your pursuit of him. So let me give you some biblical examples because there are so many of these biblical examples. So I'm going to go through a quick list of people who served someone and then God exalted them. They humbled themselves, then God exalted them and was able to use them to impact many, many different lives. Here we go. Moses served Jethro. He was trained as a prince, but faithfully looked after sheep. In Exodus 3 verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And then he was exalted. Exodus 3 verse 2 says, 
Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within the bush. Moses served this guy faithfully, his father-in-law, and eventually God used him to lead the people of Israel. Joshua served Moses. In Exodus, we see that uh, Joshua and Moses would go to the tabernacle or the tents with God's presence and Moses would leave. But the Bible says in uh, Exodus 33 verse 11 that Joshua would stay longer. He, he so loved the presence of God and he served Moses faithfully when others betrayed Moses. And so later on, what happens is that God exalts Joshua and it's Joshua, not Moses, who leads people into the promised land land. So Moses serves Jethro, God exalts Moses, Joshua serves Moses, and then God exalts Joshua. David served Saul. Now what's incredible about this story is that David was anointed by Samuel to be king and yet carried on serving Saul, even when Saul did some pretty awful stuff to David, threw a spear at him for instance. David considered uh, David still uh, continued to serve him faithfully. Um, even the context of the Bible, if we, if we read it, we realize that uh, when a master shot an arrow or threw a javelin or spear at a servant and they managed to escape, they were officially released from service. And yet David continued to serve Saul. And even when he had an opportunity to take Saul's life and make him king, he, make himself king, he decided not to because he was faithful and humble. And of course, what happens is that eventually God himself exalts David. David didn't need to exalt him. In the right time, God exalted David and he became the most famous of all Jewish kings outside, of course, Jesus. Jesus served us. Jesus humbled himself and that's important Jesus was never humbled, he humbled himself. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then one verse later we read, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Notice the word therefore. Because he humbled himself, even to death on the cross. Therefore, because of that, God exalted him. Even with Jesus, he had to humble himself for God to exalt him. And that's the same for you and me. Then we have, of course, the disciples who served Jesus. So if you know anything about discipleship, you'll know that it was, as the missioner describes it, a collection of Jewish teaching it was a painful experience because the role of a disciple was similar to that of a servant to a master. You served, physically served your rabbi in exchange for the experience and the teaching you would get. So when the disciples became disciples of Jesus, they lowered themselves in many cases to quite a, a difficult situation, a humbling, a humble situation. And yet eventually God exalted them and many of them became apostles and great evangelists. And many people came to follow them as they pursued the kingdom and serve them as they traveled and as they shared the gospel. They were humbled and then they exalted. Uh, sorry, they were humbled, but they humbled themselves. God did not humble them. And then they were exalted by God. Think about Timothy. 
So Timothy served Paul even to the point of circumcision. Think about this. Timothy, a Gentile, when asked by his leader to be circumcised, did not say, hey, you can't ask me to do that. That's, I don't have to be circumcised. But because Paul said, hey, this is for the benefit of the kingdom, Timothy humbled himself. And in those days, at his age, it would have been very, very painful to be circumcised. And yet he went through with it. And eventually God exalted him to be a key figure in the early church. So all these different people humbled themselves in order that God would exalt them and use them to advance his kingdom. But what about Satan? Satan served himself. Uh, many scholars would say that Satan was like the original worship leader who in heaven decided he wanted people to serve him and worship him rather than God the Father. And therefore God literally cast him down. He exalted himself and he was humbled. So what lesson can we learn from this? Well, it's similar to reaping and sowing. How we serve others will determine, in many respects, how others follow us. If you're a, a wife who is constantly nagging your husband in front of your children, don't be surprised, I would say, if your children turn out to be somewhat rebellious. If you're a husband who doesn't serve his wife, then don't be surprised if your children uh, grow up to be proud and belligerent. There's an influence that we have. And I often say to couples that you're beginning to parent your children the moment you start to date because you're setting up this culture that they will catch from you. So I want to encourage you, if you want God to exalt you, if you want to be a shining example, not to bring and respect yourself, but to advance the kingdom of God, then look for people that you can serve. Look for people that you can honour. Do not serve a leader begrudgingly. If you don't feel you can serve that leader, then fulfil your commitments and move out. Find a leader you can serve. Because if you can't serve someone, if you're rebellious in some way, it will come back to haunt you, I promise you. Okay, um, we've rushed through this a little bit because we've got all sorts of interference outside. Uh, but if you look at the, the book, The Kingdom Principles, it'll give you a lot more tips and information on how this principle really works. But for now, let me uh, point you to our final workshop. As a helpful exercise, I would encourage you to write your employee's appraisal of you in the form of a SWOT analysis. So I would like you to write a letter a letter from your employee, whoever that might be, to someone else. What do you think, honestly, they would put in that letter? Write it as a letter, but I want you to include these four things. What is your main strength? What is your main weakness? What is the opportunity to bring greatness to their organization or church or company if you use your strength well? And what is the threat you present if you do not manage your weakness? So write a letter from your employee to a prospective employee using those four ingredients. Hopefully you've enjoyed this series of Kingdom Principles. Um, I believe it's really important in, in developing our character so that we have the character of God and that God can use us to advance his kingdom. Bless you and thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.